All right, welcome to episode four of It Stinks, the critic podcast. Uh, today we're going to be looking at season one, episode four of The Critic, Dial M for Mother. Uh, but before we get to that, I actually have the privilege of introducing a very special guest. I can't believe we actually got him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the critic himself, Jay Sherman. Thank you. Thank you. You promised me an audience. There's no audience, Brian. Oh, uh, sorry, Jay. This is actually a podcast. It's going to go out to uh, it's going to go out later on the Internet where we hope lots of people will will listen to it. But no, we're not uh, we're not broadcasting live. I knew this was a rinky dink operation from the start. This is not going well for you, Brian. No, I'm sorry we couldn't quite match the uh, prestige of, of your show, Coming Attractions, but... Um, Thank you, legendary, greater than Siskel and Ebert, greater than that hack Jean Shallot, and don't get me started on Pauline Kale. <laughs> uh, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, you kind of name-dropped all, all the greats there, but... I've met them all, and I'll tell you one thing. They're all terrible, especially that awful Richard Roper. Well, you know, I could have had any of them on this show, but I wanted to invite you especially because you're one of my all-time favorites. And you're talking about the documentary of my life! That's right. Uh, the Critic that ran from 94 to 95, and... Um, yeah, that's what this whole show is about. So, you know, thanks for being here and uh, agreeing to talk about it. Thank you. It was greatly before its time. It should have been one of those prestige HBO documentaries, perhaps made by the wonderful David Simon. He would capture the grittiness of the world of the television critic, the loves, the losses, the drama, the comedy, the romance, but mainly the wonder of me. Yeah, so your show is is basically a comedy. It's not really like a, a David Chase or a David it's Simon a tragedy. show. Oh, it's a tragedy. Yes. It's as serious as death of a salesman. You know they say that comedy is just someone else's tragedy. And I noticed that you're all mocking me daily on the internet saying it stinks. He stinks. You know what stinks? You stink. Oh, well, well, I'm sorry to, to hear that you feel that way, but uh, I am a, a big fan of yours, and it is a great privilege to be talking to you. Oh, are you? What do you admire most about me? Well, actually, the way that, uh, you know, on on the show, even though Duke Phillips constantly tries to get you to dumb yourself down, you kind of refuse to do that. I stand on my principles. Strong and tall. Like Humphrey Bogart in some Humphrey Bogart movie where he stands strong and tall. Maybe the Maltese Falcon, marginally better than We're No Angels. Yeah, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, another uh, bogey awful, favorite of mine. Awful movie. Oh, okay. Less treasure, more madres. Well, can I, can I ask you, since we haven't really caught up with you since the show ended, can I ask you about your opinion on some more uh, modern movies? The Emmanuel series continued to be the height of cinema. The Emmanuel series, I'm not familiar with that. It's part of the French tradition of cinema erotique. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually dying to know, uh, what do you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's truly a marvel. 
how they could make so many awful movies and stick them into theater again and again and again and how willingly everyone was giving their money to them. Give me more, sir. Give me more. Blow this thing up in my face. Marginal acting, terrible costumes, decent music. All right, all right. So not not all bad. So I guess on the shermometer, it doesn't quite rate a Don't zero. Don't you talk about the shermometer. I hate that guy. Tried to saddle me with him, that bear. I'm a critic of value, sir, and you use buzzwords to antagonize and interrogate me. Shermometer. He was a hack. All right, my apologies. Um, but can I ask you, uh, what did you think of uh, Parasite? I mean, first first film in history to win uh, Best Foreign Film and Best Picture. Mm. Yeah, uh, did you see Parasite? What did you think of it? Oh, I saw it. And you know, I think the wrong people died. Oh, really? Yes. So you want you wanted the poor family to die. Exactly. What what chance did the the poor rich people have? They didn't know there were people living below them in the caverns, and then there were people lying to them on a daily basis. You know, my parents wouldn't stand for such a thing, wealthy people though they are. I do sympathize with the Kim family, though, being, uh, what do they call me, a bourgeois New York elite? Certainly. But in a future dystopian as this, the critic shall always be king. They had me looking under my bed every day to see if someone was in there eating Ramdan. Turned on, no, I had just eaten cup noodles and left them under my bed. Oh, all right. Well, Jay, I think we're just about out of time, but I want to thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show. Can I leave you with a song? Absolutely. Oh, mine podcast, to me you were so terrible. Oh, mine podcast, I hope you burn in hell. So long, jerkass. Well, wow, that was uh, that was quite a, a wild interview with uh, the critic himself, Jay Sherman. Uh, but now, joining me to actually recap this week's episode, season one, episode four, Dial M for Mother. I have a, a very good friend of mine. He's a comedian and actor. Uh, uh, please welcome Rama Valuri. Hello. Hey, Rama, what's up? Oh, you know, just sitting in a recliner. We're in lockdown. I believe this is day 25 for me. What day is it for you? Um, yeah, day 25 sounds about right. I believe we're on the same calendar. And if there's anyone listening to this who survived the pandemic lockdowns and quarantines and the sheer frightening reality of our day-to-day existence, then welcome. I hope you're listening to this outside where there are other people more than six feet closer to you. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping by the time this podcast comes out, cockroaches have evolved the ability to download podcasts. Oh, they would be a loyal audience. They, they don't die. They just would listen to this forever and ever. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, all right. So uh, before we dive into this episode, uh, I, I kind of ask all my guests this. Uh, were you a fan of The Critic uh, when it was on in the 90s? Absolutely. And I actually owned the DVDs when they came out. We used to find it wherever possible. Big fans of John Lovitz. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I know that when I... Actually, the way we met was on the uh, CBS Sketch Diversity Showcase, and uh, you kind of showcased your John Lovitz impression, and I was very impressed. I didn't even know it was an impression until people told me I sounded like Lovitz. <laughs> really? Did people tell you that? No, never. I actually, <laughs> I actually can do his voice. It's one of the most enjoyable voices to do an impression of. I actually know that sometime five or six years ago, John Lovitz received a voicemail from Dana Carvey with <laughs> me doing his voice to him. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, so I hope one day to meet him and he goes, It was you, you <laughs> bastard! Um, I mean, I, I suppose like, couldn't you just go to his, uh, club at the universal city walk? Oh, and that got just... shut down, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I'm, shut down I'm years ago. Yeah. He was stealing <laughs> tips and things. It was, uh... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, maybe that's, uh, so the story goes, uh, maybe he didn't justice for John. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I hope not. Um, <laughs> If you are a, a Lovitz truther or perhaps a tip truther, tell Brian he's dying to know. No, yeah, I would love I would love to hear all all of your uh, John Lovitz uh, fan theories and read your John Lovitz fan fiction. Absolutely. So yes, right into the podcast. I'm I'm dying to to hear or read all of it. It was cold that night. Doris Burke just finished calling a basketball game at Madison Square Garden. Waiting for a cab, she heard a voice go, oh, hello. There's the beginning. Finish the rest of that prompt. Um, I'll do that later. Uh, let's get into this episode. Uh, so just to give the synopsis here, dial M for mother. Jay's attempt to show the world he can be warm by appearing with his mother on a talk show is a categorical failure. He just can't find anything nice to say about her. Um, so yeah, this episode really explores the relationship between Jay, uh, and his parents, especially his mom. Jay's parents are, I think, some of my favorite characters on this show, especially the dad. Oh, he's great. He can't find pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Franklin on this episode sings a song about how he can't find any pants. Um, uh, but yeah, so as this episode begins, uh, we're... On Jay's show, Coming Attractions, he's reviewing a terrible remake of Pride of the Yankees that is basically, it follows the plot of Lorenzo's oil, I guess, because they call it Lou Gehrig's oil. Yes, so much like in the Nick Nolte classic Lorenzo's oil based on a true story, they find a cure or the, the makings of a cure. They just take that premise and slap it to the end of Pride of the Yankees to save Lou Gehrig from Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. A debilitating uh, disease known as ALS, of which there still is no cure. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, kind of a uh, uh, dark humor there, but so I found the uh, basic uh, movie parody they did kind of hilarious. So after the show, Duke comes and tells Jay that uh, 
basically test audiences uh, find Jay cold and uncaring and that he's going to take five days to turn Jay around and kind of, I guess, turn him into a hit or make him more appealing or whatever. Make people like him. Yeah, uh, kind of a running theme throughout this show. Duke constantly trying to change Jay's show and Jay kind of fighting against it. It's a very Pygmalion, my fair lady kind of thing. Jay is the Eliza Doolittle. He's the cockney flower girl who Duke yeah. is going to turn into uh, something. A, what, into a, what a would proper be the lady? A proper lady, yeah. He'll look and sound exactly like Audrey Hepburn by the end. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and to that end, we do see a, uh, a like a test audience watching Jay's show and they rank him uh, worse than Hitler. Uh, they think Hitler is like warmer and, and cuddlier than than Jay is. Well, he gave the people what they wanted. Unfiltered Jay. And they hated it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, wh- how would you feel if if a test audience said Brian Rubinow, you are slightly less warm than Hitler. I would almost take that as like a bragging point. Cause like, yeah, if, if I'm legitimately worse than Hitler, that's like, I could almost like wield that as a weapon. Like, would you put it on your business cards? (laughs) Yeah. My business cards, my website, everything. Like I could use that as almost as like a superpower to like clear out a room. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm worse than Hitler. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Front row at every concert. I imagine if, uh, yeah, like if I really had the ability to clear out any room, I would be probably involved in some sort of madcap high concept comedy where someone is trying to like tank their their play or something by having me in the audience and getting everyone to leave or something oh so you you would have been the solution to the producers i guess so so if bialystok and bloom had you in the audience springtime for hitler would have been a flop instead of the greatest production in the history of broadway yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I should have been in the producers, is what I'm saying. You, if you had been at the theater when Cats came out, could have convinced the audience that it was either a cinematic masterpiece or the equivalent of a diaper filled with moldy Hormel chili. Yeah, yeah, I guess like if I uh, was worse than Hitler and I said, uh, I hate the movie Cats, then everyone would... Uh, just start to love it just as a reaction. They would have released that butthole cut that everybody's been talking about. Oh yeah. Because I, of you. I still want to see that. Like I saw, I saw the, the in theaters version, the, I think it was the unpatched version before they fixed all the, um, special effects. And it was, it was quite an experience. Honestly, I don't know if I saw it before or after they allegedly fixed things, but whatever they claim to have fixed, I guarantee they didn't fix. <laughs> no, they did not fix what was really at the heart of what was wrong with cats, which I think is probably unfixable. Yeah, it's just a, it's bad in yeah. every every way. The original material, the poems, the Broadway musical, the filmed version. I can't think of a single thing I like about any of them. But then again, yeah, I guess it's not for me. It's for someone. I, yeah, I don't that's, know. That's what we say in Hollywood. That's ah, not for me. That's like the worst thing you can say about something. But you know what is for me? The Critic.
Oh, yes. So getting back to this episode. So Duke takes on uh, the project of uh, improving Jay's image. And uh, to that end, we get uh, like a new set that Duke reveals, which is kind of like it looks basically like a log cabin. Yeah. And there's there's a bear on the set. Not not a bear skin, an actual bear. Just heavily drugged. Yes. Um, I actually love the bear in this episode. He he comes back a couple times. He he's definitely an episode highlight for me. The bear is one of my favorite cartoon appearances of any animal in any cartoon or live thing or zoo ever. <laughs> that is a talented bear. Probably related to are you familiar with Wojtek the soldier bear? No. Okay, so I believe this is World War II. Uh, in Poland, there's a bear uh, who was... Okay, so Wojtek was a Syrian brown bear, and he served in the Polish land force. He retired and, and officially died in the Edinburgh Zoo in Scotland in 1963. But he was born in 1942 in Hamadan, Iran, and... He was a uh, a soldier. Oh to, yeah, you know I think I do remember hearing something about he accompanied the bulk of the two corps to Italy, serving with the twenty second artillery supply company. If I remember yeah, right, that's that's the one. That's the one. I learned about him from a site called Badass of the Week, <laughs> uh, and there are statues of 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 the this bear. All around the world. You can learn more about him from such films as uh, The Soldier Bear or Wikipedia or Badass of the Week. There are songs about him. Uh, <laughs> there's a film called Votek the Bear that went to war that was on BBC Two Scotland narrated by Brian Blessed. So I think oh, that's man. really the only one that you need to pay attention to. Uh, Brian Blessed is like if a bear became human. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you a story of my life as a bear. <laughs> oh, man. So although um, although I have to make sure we don't pass up the fact that in addition to the bear, we also see the shermometer kind of dance on at oh, one point. Oh, the shermometer. Which looks just like a, a, a thermometer with arms and legs, but then we see there's an actual guy in there yep. with like a very pointy head. Have you no shame? Get out of here. But it's the part I was born for. Because, yeah, he actually fits inside a thermometer costume. I mean, he vaguely looks like Jay. He could be... A little bit. He could be another orphan from the same family as Jay. And, well, one became a critic and adopted by billionaires. The other became a dancing thermometer. <laughs> he definitely looks like he could be the Laurel to Jay's Hardy. Yes. Hardy was the big one, right? Yes, Oliver Hardy was the big one. Oh, okay. So um, so Jay tries out this new set, and with a new like costume, he kind of looks like like a I guess like a rugged outdoorsman. He's got kind of like a plaid thing going on with like kind of like a cargo vest. He looked glorious. <laughs> But unfortunately, it, it doesn't last too long. He ends up uh, bringing on a, a turkey that, uh, oh, the turkey of the week, which rips off his toupee and they get into a big 
scuffle with the bear <laughs> and a huge fight starts and uh, Duke puts up a we'll be right back screen. Um, and that takes us into our first commercial break. So, yeah, it looks like Duke's uh, attempts to uh, change Jay's image off to a rocky start. It's a strong start narratively, though. The stakes have never been higher for Jay. (laughs) He may lose his show. Audiences find him horrifying. He's resistant to every kind of change. So what will Duke do? Stay tuned for the second act. But first, these messages from Meineke. If you need car supplies. Okay, I was just going to let you go, but... (laughs) Oh, I I can't do George Foreman's voice. I don't don't think. (laughs) Meineke! (laughs) That's all I got. Okay, all right. Well, uh, so as Act 2 begins, uh, Doris is bandaging Jay's head, and we see that the bear feels terrible, and he does a little dance to apologize... Uh, another great gag with the bear. Again, maybe my favorite part of this episode. It was great, although the optics of that appearance of the bear are far worse, because if you notice, he's wearing both a collar and a leash, and he's got a Russian circus man behind him. Yeah. So the way this bear learned how to how to dance and play the accordion and all likely is from the same kind of punishment you see in movies like Black Swan or Dumbo or the stupid starring Tom Arnold. It, <laughs> yeah, probably wasn't good. But but I got to say when the bear looks ashamed, like I really believed it. Like that looked genuine. I think the shame was real. I've made that face before after oh, yeah. attacking movie critics in person. I feel bad and I do a little dance too. But I mean that bear really does steal the show of this entire episode. He really does. Or she really does. I shouldn't. Who knows? Assume we the bear's don't, we don't know. Yeah, it's never specified. Um, but anyway, Duke gets another uh, genius idea to soften Jay's image. He says Geraldo Rivera is doing a special about celebrities and their moms. Noted crack journalist Geraldo <laughs> Rivera, same company of. Murrow and Cronkite and Jennings and Rather and Brokaw bears the name Geraldo. Mr. Connie Chung himself. Yes, and this was not too long after he failed to reveal anything in Al Capone's vault in Alcatraz. So he's still talk of the town, Geraldo. But yeah, he actually does his own voice in this show. He plays himself. And what a gift that was to all of us. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought he did a pretty good job. He did know, a fine job for what it was. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Geraldo actually shows up to uh, Jay's house with uh, his parents. And um, so actually before the show begins, uh, we get this great scene. Well, we actually get a couple great scenes, but the first I wanted to highlight was the... Um, the makeup artist asks uh, Eleanor how she gets uh, her skin so soft, yeah. and she <laughs> tells him this horrifying skincare routine that she has. I scrub my face vigorously with the steel wool pad, then I stick my face in boiling water for two minutes. Exactly. And then I fill the pot with herbs, and I feed it to the men in the boathouse. Ah, hag face stew again. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I all, Somehow I always remembered that line. Like, that line really stuck <laughs> with me. 
<laughs> and then the all the other great thing we get in this section is uh, Geraldo interviewing Jay's dad. Jay says, "Here, I gave you some just softball questions you can lob at him." And then that, of course, is just we get Franklin being Franklin, which is always the best. I hear you can say your name backwards. Is that true? Nilknoff. What's your favorite food in the whole wide world? Nilknoff. Whenever Franklin just goes whole hog and just appears like an absolute weirdo, it's it's always the best. Mm-hmm. All right. So as the show begins, uh, Geraldo, or no, sorry, Geraldo. <laughs> yes. As the show begins, Geraldo is with uh, Jay and Eleanor, and uh, we eventually get to, or sorry, uh, Geraldo asked Jay that uh, basically Jay has a habit of talking over the heads of his audience, and then Jay gives this very erudite answer, which leads to uh, one of uh, someone watching at home turning the channel to The Simpsons. So this is the the first. Yeah. So this is the first instance of those two worlds uh, crossing, Mm -hmm. Uh, but won't be the last instance, of course. Definitely not. No, we uh, are going to get uh, actually in. Yeah, late in season two, Jay and Alice, who we will meet in season two, go to a a Duke's costume ball as Homer and Marge. It's pretty hilarious. The Simpsons also have two different episodes featuring Jay Sherman. Yes, of course, one where he's um, he he judges the uh, uh, film festival, the the definitive crossover episode where he says to Bart, "And if you ever want to come on my show," he goes, "No, no, 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 no." Yeah. Um, and then there's there was another just kind of throwaway gag with Jay Sherman where we see him in a um, in a mental hospital. On the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Just it yelling. stinks. It stinks. Yes. It stinks. Yes, Mr. Sherman. Everything stinks. Ah, uh, poor Jay. I hope he, I hope he ever, uh, I hope he manages to get out of that mental hospital so that he can, I don't know, maybe appear on this podcast one day. Wouldn't that be something? It would be something. He would certainly have a Twitter account. Probably beat that film critic Hulk guy to the punch. Oh, maybe. yeah. Film crit Hulk. Yeah. 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 Not not for me, film critic Hulk. Not not for me. For someone else, but not for me. Yeah, honestly, me neither. Um do I do want to shout out one of my favorite Twitter um movie critics. Uh she goes by her her Twitter handle is BBWBFF. So it's uh it's I'm BBW unfamiliar. underscore BFF. And uh she writes for oh god i forget the name of the website but if you just follow her on twitter she posts her film reviews and film articles and they're all great got it well i will i will look for yes priscilla page that's who it is okay got it there it is you just earned her another follow sweet total is now up to 62.9 k and that's thanks to you brian Wow. Awesome. (laughs) All right. So after we get that hilarious gag with the Simpsons showing up on the critic, we get to Eleanor showing like a uh, home movie uh, with Jay as a baby, like when they got him from the orphanage. We picked Jay because we thought he was a monkey. His original name was Mr. Bip. (laughs) 
Oh, and then also the very next thing that comes after that is we see Jay like jogging as like a teenager and his belly fat is like jiggling in what looks like slow motion. But it's not. Yes, but it's not actually in slow motion. But nope. I wanted to highlight this because that like that exact same joke was on The Simpsons. Yes. Like in the uh, like the X-Files episode when they put Homer on the treadmill. Wait a minute, Scully. What's the point of this test? No point. I just thought he could stand to lose a little weight. His jiggling is almost hypnotic. Yes, it's like a lava lamp. That's a good, that's a good one. I guess maybe uh, Mike Reese just really likes that joke. I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. and I'm sure that's not, uh, that's not the only instance of there being some, like, if you want to call it parallel thinking or whatever. But we definitely get a lot of similar jokes on The Critic and The Simpsons sometimes. Well, it makes sense from one leading to the next. But that yeah. one is an example of a joke that uh, you, you wouldn't really do in this day and age. You'd have a lot of angry people at you for body shaming Jay Sherman for his ability to run in slow motion. Yeah. So after Eleanor shows the original Shermometer, which is a anal thermometer they used uh, <laughs> when uh, Jay was a child. Uh, Jay gets fed up. He he tells his mom to shut up and, and Eleanor cries and leaves. Basically, the show goes about as horribly as it possibly could. And yep. uh, the last thing we see in this act is uh, Franklin coming out as baby New Year 1937, wearing <laughs> just a diaper and like a sash. And he dances. He dances beautifully. Yes. He dances for the people who can't dance, and he dances for the people who can. And he'll make you want to get up and dance. In a diaper? Maybe. I mean, he's a party animal. That is 100% the truth. Yeah. I don't think I could survive a party with Franklin. No, definitely not. It would be wild. Like, I would, I would be very cautious about trying any of the food or the drinks, because they yeah, probably... And- would you have to wear a diaper too, or I don't know? This seems like a lot, a lot of questions that need to be answered. There's only one baby New Year, so hopefully That's Franklin's true. the only one in a in a diaper. You'd hope so, but man, <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, everyone else would probably be wearing things that were equally crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so for sure. Because uh, if he's wearing a diaper and a sash, someone's someone's wearing a sarong. Mm. I'm guessing that like Picasso's there, just completely naked, hanging danger. Maybe he's wearing that that scuba diving suit that he loves so well. I'm picturing like an old West guy who's wearing just a barrel on suspenders. Oh yeah. You know, I could probably, I could probably spend a day like that. Hogshead barrel and suspenders. Doesn't seem very comfortable. No, but it would make a statement. Like, yeah. how do you out Kanye Kanye? You put on a hobo barrel and you go strutting down the street. I don't think he'd do it. No, but he, he'd probably like make his own barrel and then sell it for thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's true. He's, he knows how to sell people stuff they don't want. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, all right. So as Act Three begins, um, Duke obviously not pleased with how the show went. He basically says now Jay is on his own. So then we get kind of this uh, sequence of um, basically Jay suffering the repercussions of insulting his mom on TV. Like yep. he goes to Lane Reesh and he gets cussed out by Nixon. Excuse me. I've suddenly lost my appetite. My mother was a saint. Yes, I'm sure she was unimpeachable. <laughs> and then he leaves. Uh, I loved that gag. Um, then we see um, Jay goes to the park and uh, like he sees a mom singing to Mockingbird to her baby. And then we see like one of these things that the critic does really well where they take a basic premise like that and they heighten it really quickly and, and really hilariously. So like we see um, like a like, like like a bike cop. Uh, ride by with her daughter right behind her, and then we see a poster for the Cats musical. Hey, yep. there's the there it is <laughs> the again. Second time Cats has come up, uh, but then we see next to it a poster for another musical called Kittens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just a great visual gag, and just you know the show basically taking just a very simple joke and heightening it just as as high as it can go what would be the next logical step if you have cats and kittens what would be the third step for that oh god um, i think oh maybe i think uh we would see the statue of liberty and then the a, a tinier statue daughter of liberty and the daughter's cat <laughs> Well, I was staying on the mother-daughter relationship. I wasn't thinking of what comes after kitten. If the series is cat, kitten, I mean, what does come after that? I, I mean, it's either fetus or grave, right? I guess so. Or, or like cat um, person. Or some sort of like de-evolved cat, like the uh, uh, ancestor of modern cats. Oh, yeah. So someone from Tucson. <laughs> or like a saber-toothed tiger. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. Saber-toothed tiger in Tucson. So Jay actually finds out Eleanor is in the hospital. And then we meet this doctor that says she's suffering from the one thing they can't cure, a broken heart. And then he kind of goes on this tear, diagnosing people with things like the blues and puppy love, <laughs> things like that. Great. Uh, That's a great bit. I, yeah. I love that. Kind of reminded me of the, the doctor from uh, Arrested Development, the one played by Ian Roberts. Oh, good doctor. The yeah. only doctor I'd trust in my life. I mean, doctors are just real gold mines for comedy. Yeah, like Dr. Leo Spichemin on 30 Rock. Yeah, or Dr. Uh, just... Every character Ken Jong has played because he's a doctor. Yeah, he is a doctor, Ken Jong. Um, I'm sure, there are other funny doctors out there. Well, Doctor Nick House, Riviera. House was hilarious. House is great. Yeah, he and his drug addiction were the peak of comedy. Doc Nick uh, Riviera is fantastic. So in the hospital, Jay tries to uh, reconcile with his mother, but she's not having any of it she turns jay away so things kind of 
look hopeless, but well, uh, he also then, eats her entire peach cobbler. So that's, true. that's that's a good reason for her not to want to make peace with him. She's yeah. saying that she doesn't want to eat around him, but she probably wanted that cobbler. Like I want cobbler right now. Yeah, the nurse does bring Eleanor her lunch, dinner, whatever, and yeah, Jay ends up eating all of it. So looks like yeah, it things are kind of uh looking pretty bad between Jay and his mom, but then what happens? Jay is like leaving the hospital and like a guy drives by and like nails Jay in the head uh yeah. with a a bottle, I believe, and Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Jay ends up in the hospital himself. Um, and who comes to visit him? Well, it's his mom. Oh, snap! I guess seeing her son almost uh, mortally wounded, uh, you know, melted her heart, and she tries to be more affectionate from now on. Um, Nothing like a near-death experience for, to bring families closer together. Yeah, hopefully, you know, I never have to go to lengths that extreme uh, to get my mom to say she loves me. I mean, me and my mom are are on good terms, so I don't think I'll have to. Good terms. That sounds like someone who isn't on good terms. <laughs> I could have mo- phrased that better. Why but has your mother been on this podcast yet, Brian? No, I... Um, what has she said about the critic? I don't think she'd be a fan, really. She uh, she never really liked, like, The Simpsons, or I can't really think of any, like, half-hour sitcoms she liked. She was really into Desperate Housewives when it was on. She loves Grey's Anatomy. And yet you are doing a podcast about a show that she doesn't have any interest in in an effort to bring the two of you closer. Brian, don't you see the problem in this? You could be talking about Desperate Housewives and you and your mother could have a wonderful relationship instead of this relationship on good terms, as you put it. <laughs> All right. So I guess after I finish uh, doing the Critic podcast, I got to start the uh, Desperate Housewives podcast. Yeah. So who's on that show? It's Terry Hatcher and Felicity Huffman. and I, I honestly don't I, know. I, I just... <laughs> I just remember it was produced by Mark Cherry because that's a joke in Arrested Development. All right. It won a bunch of awards. Yeah, probably did, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) See, we we have very opposite tastes. I don't don't like any, like, hour-long dramas, really. I'm much more of a comedy guy. Do you think your mom has her own podcast where she's talking about Desperate Housewives and at this moment she's talking to some friend of hers like Lurleen and says, my son Brian, he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get me. We're on good terms, but I don't think he could save me in a trivia contest. If my mom had the foggiest idea of what a podcast was, maybe she would do that. Maybe she's got her own television show. Oh, she's on the local PBS channel. Then I'd feel real guilty for not watching. Yeah, you could have been on there. It could have been your like my mom and me. You could be your own reality star. Yeah, we could be on a show together. Yeah. Just like Jay and Eleanor end up on his show together Uh at the uh, in kind of the yeah, the final scene of this episode. So, yeah, there's that moment where Eleanor says, uh, I Uh, what does that say? 
I love you. Oh, I love you. Yes. <laughs> yep. And uh, kind of the, the last image we see is the basically the meter from the, the test audience again goes from negative to slightly less negative. That's only after. Yes, that is right. That is after the bear comes out once again, does a big old the dance. Yep, bunch of circus baby performers come out. And Franklin as baby 37, just a big giant jubilee to end the episode. And then, yeah, we see that needle slightly move from negative to less negative. And we're all left with this little bit of hope that Jay will return for another week to coming attractions. Um, yeah, so I, I really like this episode. It uh, uh, definitely establishes, you know, that pattern of like Duke trying to change Jay's show and going through all these crazy things to try to make it better, which um, we definitely see a lot more of that throughout this show. But it I don't think it like becomes the like the central story of an episode ever after this one um right but yeah i i really loved this one a lot of great gags a lot of great uh moments from of course the bear from franklin any anything from this episode that we maybe skipped over that you wanted to make sure we we mentioned here well he does you do see his sister briefly so she's in the picture, but she doesn't really weigh in much on their relationship because the yeah. affair in the restaurant seems to just be building to the Nixon joke. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, Margot not really important to this episode. Unfortunately, she's just in that one scene, and yeah, that restaurant was great though. I like the restaurant that he went to. The maitre d really seemed to care about him and slap him in the face and offer to knee him in the groin. Oh, yeah, Vlada, the great recurring character. Yeah, uh, but I think you pretty much covered everything that was big. Yeah, I believe so. You you didn't want to mention, like, the Cosby joke at the beginning of the episode, did you? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I, I forgot all about it, where at the end of the Pride of the Yankees Lorenzo Zoyle thing, after... After Luke Gehrig is cured and he hits a home run, the newsboy runs up saying the war is over and Bill Cosby's born and everyone could enjoy his non-threatening, family-friendly comedy, warm comedy. Oh, how things have changed <laughs> since. His comedy uh, is still family-friendly and, and warm and non-threatening, but the man himself, ooh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of, uh, kind of prescient there. Uh, what did they know? Like, no. <laughs> what weren't they saying, Brian? You know, we can only we can only speculate. Yeah. Answer, Reese. <laughs> Answer to your fans. What did you know? Uh, all right. Well, I guess that that does it for this episode. I I had a great time going over it. Um, Rama, thank you so much for for joining me and sharing your your love of, of the critic. I hope this is fun for you. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I'll let you know this. I didn't tell you before I agreed to do this. You know what my account name on Letterboxd, the movie reviewing app is? Oh, what is it? The Shermometer. Oh my God. And it's been the whole time. Yeah. I'm going to have to go find that now because I, yeah. I do have a Letterboxd account, but I hardly ever use it. 
I hardly ever use it, but I want to make sure that I maintain ownership of the name The Shermometer. It seems important. All right. So, yeah, everyone, go to letterboxd.com and find The Shermometer. Uh, Rama, anything else you want to plug? Your social media or any anything people oh, should check out? Sure. You can find me on most things by my name. Just search Rama Valeri and you'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, and all that wonderful stuff. If you watch... The cartoons produced by AOK, the digital shorts on YouTube. I am Caillou the grown-up Arthur, adult Arthur, uh, adult Phineas and Phineas and Ferb in all those cartoon parodies. Uh, I'm in a couple video games that are coming out that I can't name. And Ooh. yeah, they're, they're coming. Uh, and also, if you like music, Brian, do you say that you like music? Oh, yeah, I would, I would say I dabble. Yeah, so uh, search for King Oaf and the Quarantines. That's K-I-N-G space O-A-F and the Quarantines. And my musical collaborator, Maxwell Butler, and I are putting together basically an album's worth of material about places that we haven't been. Currently, we have a song about Butte, Montana called Butte, Montana, I Ain't Going Back. That is fully country. And a song about Chicopee, Massachusetts, called Chicopee, avec les Foncois, that is currently in the hands of the mayor of Chicopee, and we expect <laughs> to be banned for life from that city when he listens to it and reads the lyrics. Oh, well, that's unfortunate that you'll never get to see the the beautiful city of, of Chicopee. Honestly, I want to be banned. I want <laughs> him to send me a letter I want it signed, sealed, delivered, notarized. I want that band framed. I want it on my wall. It'll be my proudest achievement. And yeah, by the time people are listening to this, we'll probably have a whole album out of of stuff and call it, I don't know, Ina Kleina COVID music or something or songs for Brian Rubinow. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, everyone be sure to keep an eye out for that. Um, so yeah, thanks again so much for joining me for this episode and we will see you on the next episode of it stinks, the critic podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of it stinks, the critic podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow. Our theme song is by Brandon Beck. You can email the podcast at itstinkspod at gmail.com and find us on Twitter and Instagram at itstinkspod. It stinks! It stinks! It stinks! There you go.